KWVA. 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 Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking talking sports. Quack Smack! What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack, quack! Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Welcome to Quack Smack. This is your host, Griffin Bowes, alongside Jason Hardrick and Max Regal. It is February 28th, 2024, Wednesday of Week 8, almost near the end of winter term. How are you guys doing school-wise? We're, we're closing in on the end of this term, man. Like This is where I was saying two weeks ago that the burnout was starting to set in. I feel like the burnout kind of sets in week six. And then seven and eight is really, really where it hits hard. And then eight and then nine and ten is just just a grind to get through it. So we're kind of in the back half of the term where the burnout is getting real. But we're locking in. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling yeah. – I personally am feeling good about this term. Best term I've had as opposed to my last four. Yeah, I feel good. I've – I'm glad the term is almost over. I'm ready to go home during uh, finals break, finals week, because I don't. I only have one final. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for for spring break and spring term as well. The weather's going to start getting better, but it hasn't been. I mean, this winter has not been that cold, honestly. Not been that wet either, for the most part. I know today kind of rained a little bit, but last weekend, what did you guys do last weekend? Oh man, last weekend was a lot of a lot of watching baseball. I'm not going to lie. Like last weekend was a. Uh, it was. It, it's nice to have these sunny weekends in the state of Oregon because you get about eight or nine months of rain and gloom and like weird ice storms like we had earlier this term. But when the sun comes out and you get like nice 50, 60 degree weather in Oregon, it's 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 really nice because it's not super hot. I mean, obviously it's not going to get hot here, but it's not going to get super cold on those days either. And it's nice and sunny. You can kind of go outside and hang out for a bit. But it's a big. It's a nice change to have that because the rest of the year you spend inside. Watching sports in our case. Yeah, last weekend I just spent a lot of time watching the Lakers, <laughs> and um, of course you did. That's yeah, every weekend. Yeah, I'm excited for this Lakers Clippers game tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you got it in early, three minutes in, and you got the Lakers Clippers game in. Yeah, he w- he was telling us like before the start of the show, like, <laughs> can we just talk about the Lakers the whole time? Like that would that would be awesome. I know. Yeah. I thought I thought you were gonna throw I thought you were gonna throw that in at the end. I was not expecting a Lakers Clippers game drop this early on. We we could possibly like talk about the game at the end of the show if we have some extra time but for now let's get into Oregon sports starting with Oregon baseball their series against Lafayette last weekend super easy really no game was in contention their first their first win 17 of 3 on Friday then 15 to 4 and 7 to 4 on Saturday and then 12 to 2 on Sunday you guys have any initial takeaways from the game I mean there's there's a lot of good here. There's a lot of good to unpack with individual players and team statistics. The pitching staff was great. The position players was a huge is still is a huge question mark moving forward in this year just because of how different it is from last year's position group. But they looked great, man. This is obviously Lafayette is obviously the weakest team Oregon's going to play this year. So for them to sweep that series, go four and zero the way they did was super super important. I think if they went three and one. That game three looked like the only game that they had a chance of dropping, but if they did, then the outlook on this se- on this season would be a whole lot different. Cause like, you win a series three to one, typically you look great. If you win a series three to one against a team like Lafayette, as a team that has postseason aspirations, the Ducks went to the super regional round last year. They're looking to try to get back there, something replicate something like that this year. And this was honestly a series that they needed to sweep in order to pass the eye test of what they need to do for the rest of the year. Yeah, like you said, Max, Lafayette is not a good team. Um, Oregon definitely should have swept them 4-0 like they did. And um, it was a great pitching performance by 
Quinnipiac uh, transfer, Kevin Sider. Oh, yeah. The Sunday, Sunday for Sider was absolutely electric. He had a shaky start, I think, against Baylor in the, t- in the, in the, in the Texas series, the Shriners Children's College showdown to start off the year. But for him to come back, we're going to say it over and over again, Lafayette, not the strongest team. There's the weakest team Oregon's going to play. We're going to put it quite frankly. The weakest team Oregon will play. But to have seven, to have 11 strikeouts in six innings, no matter who you're playing, huge confidence booster for Sider, yeah. huge confidence booster for the rest of the pitching staff. And the man looked like an ace. Like He's got to be a name that Mark Wasikowski is looking at right now as a possible Saturday, possible Sunday starter. Yeah. Going into the season, I had some questions about the team's endurance, especially in these four-game four series four games in a three-day period. I think they showed great endurance this weekend. They really didn't They didn't look like they were struggling at all. Every game was a blowout, uncontested. Th- there was no, you know, sort of lag or struggle to find momentum. They were just executing at a really high rate. And I know I know Lafayette is not a great team. They're not even a good team by the, the metrics. But still some optimism for Oregon's team. I feel like, you know... When you're playing weaker teams, you just got to do what you got to do, and you got to get out of there with a blowout win. And Oregon got out of there with four blowout wins, so this does give me some optimism. It just it doesn't confirm me that Oregon's an elite team, but it tells me that Oregon is definitely a good team. Also, offense I don't think is a very big problem for the team so far. They have six players with an average of at least .300, and Jeffrey Hurd, shout out, he's at .500 batting average, and also eight players with at least five runs. So, very very efficient offense for Oregon. That's going to take them pretty far now we're gonna go into a bit of a different segment we're going to rank Oregon's pitchers we're gonna we're gonna each give our top four we're gonna rank the top four guys uh one of you guys who wants to go first I'll, I'll I'll start us off I mean this is there's a lot there's a lot of ways you can go with this I have I have four names that I feel pretty confident about and then one name that's a maybe I think number one just because of what happened this weekend in the second game, the first half of the doubleheader, Grayson Grinzel. The guy is a, he's a sophomore. He's part of this the the famous pitching staff from last year, the fes- the freshman pitching group that was so lights out surprisingly last year. Obviously a sophomore makes his return. A lot of questions coming into this year about what the starting pitching staff is going to look like. Who's going to be the game 2, the game 3 starter? Obviously Isaac Aon hurts his elbow. He's out for the year. He was projected to be the Friday guy. Now R.J. Gordon kind of steps into that role. It looked like to start the to start the year to start the series against Lafayette, but we know that Mark Wasikowski does not have that lockdown yet. We know that he is gonna play around with his starting pitchers. He's gonna see. He's gonna use the first couple weeks as just test for what the staff needs to look like and who follows in the bullpen. But Grayson Grinsel, like he went, he had ten strikeouts. I think it was. Four innings pitched, 10 strikeouts. He gave up one hit, one earned run. He pitched 70, he threw 76 pitches. He could have gone, he could have gone later in the game had it been obviously a way, way bigger, much, much higher stakes. That beginning of the year, you're not going to want to see Grayson Grinzel go too deep in the game. He, he had, he had six batters get to a 2-2 or a 3-2 count. So that kind of ran his pitch, his pitch count up a little bit. He faced 16 batters. Like I just said, six of them got into deep counts. That ran his pitch count up a little bit. But his strikeouts, he was he was sitting guys down on on low counts. He had five five out of ten of his strikeouts came on one two counts. Like when he was throwing his ball for strikes and getting that swing and miss, he was sitting down. He was sitting guys down early in five or six pitches at most. He threw eight first pitch strikes to sixteen batters faced. He looked really he looked really consistent and he looked really confident. Just. A couple of at-bats just got too deep in the count, and it ran his pitch count up a little bit. And what I said with Mark Wasikowski not wanting to let pitchers go too deep in the game, but this was an amazing amazing outing for Grayson Grinsel, and I think he's my pitcher number one moving forward. Jason, what's your number one? I, I have to go with the Quinnipiac transfer, Kevin Sider. After that performance that we saw on Sunday, he only gave up two runs to, obviously, Lafayette is not that good of a team, but I would have to, I would have to put Kevin Sider as my number one for the rest of the season. For the rest of the season, wow! Yes. After Whoa. one one performance, okay. I mean, I I kind of <laughs> uh, I, I didn't really set this up as like a power ranking segment. I kind of set it up as more of like a full season. But you could do it any way you want to go. My number one is Grayson Grinsel as well. He he has a team best ERA of one point two nine, or at least team best of the pitchers that are getting the most the most amount of playing time. So I think Grayson Grinsel from the overall season stats, he is the clear number one. I believe. Yeah. What about number two? Number two, I have R.J. Gordon. I mean, it's 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 pretty close between him and my number three. 
But RJ, there was like everyone's gonna have the questions that they're gonna have about RJ because he didn't pitch last year with an injury. But the guy was lights out the year before that. He was he was really good the year before that, and he's just looking to have a really good bounce back year. On Friday, he pitched six innings, three hits, one earned run, four strikeouts. He had three walks and he hit a batter, so that ran his pitch count up a bit. Threw 93 pitches, but he got the quality start. He got the Ducks deep into the game. His command looked good. His fastball looked good. His off speed looked good, and he just. He seemed settled in, and he seemed very comfortable for a guy that hasn't pitched in upwards of a year, year and a half. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Max. I would have to put R.J. Gordon at number two because, like you said, he's he's very comfortable for a pitcher who hasn't pitched for a year and a half. Yeah, I guess we have a consensus. I got R.J. Gordon at number two as well. His yeah. ERA is pretty far off from Grayson Grinsel, but overall a very well-rounded player and definitely going to be someone who can be an asset for the Ducks going forward. How about number three? Number three, I had Kevin Sider. Just because of like eleven, if you're gonna pitch eleven strikeouts in six innings early on in the season, you're gonna be top three on the team. Like he did have the shaky outing against Baylor in the Shriners Children's College Showdown, which made me not want to put him in that top two. But I was at the game on Sunday, and his slider was something else, man. He was throwing his he was throwing his fastball on the inside and outside corner for swing and miss, and then was getting beautiful chases with the slider, just barely off the outside half of the plate his slider looked amazing his command was great his pitch his pitch sequencing was really really good and just the confidence these guys all these guys in the top three and the top four looked really confident and they looked like big league arms obviously obviously we've said it we're not going to sugarcoat it Lafayette probably the weakest lineup this team's going to face but still huge bright side to see a guy like Kevin Sider who struggled a little bit in his first week to come back throw 11 strikeouts on Sunday and just absolutely lock the game down from the start. So I would have to put – you guys may not agree with me, but I have to put Turner Spolgerick at number three. Um, he may not – he hasn't been doing good lately, but I, I would have to put him at number three because when he is, you know, when he's, when he gets in the groove, he, you know, could throw strikeouts. I'm, hi- I'm high on Spolgerick because yeah. of last year. He he made me a fan last year. He had some really good outings. He had some really clutch games towards the end of the year where he was pitching big innings at the end of the game, the sixth, seventh, eighth inning. And he looked really good, and I expect a lot from him this year. If there's a guy that, that's going to sort of uh, maybe underperform so far but is going to really come into his own, I think, later in this year, I think it definitely would be Turner Spoljarek. I actually have a little deviation from you, Max. I have Toby Twist at number three and then Kevin Scheider at number four. It's very close. I gave Twist the edge because he has that advantage in opposing batting average. They have a similar ERA, and I know Kevin Scheider was better last weekend and better – more recently so going forward I'm not really sure I might go with Cider here I know the hype is really big around him but right now I got Twist at number three so my full top four Grayson Grinsel, RJ Gordon, Toby Twist and Kevin Cider. who are your guys as number four? I had Toby Twist at number four and he had he had a really good game in game three he started game three five strikeouts four innings pitched he gave up two hits and two earned runs 78 pitches, obviously, we've said it, Mark Wazikowski isn't going to let guys get super late in the game this early on in the season. But he, as a freshman arm, he looked really good in Texas, yeah. too. He pitched a couple extra innings in Texas. And this weekend, to see him start a game as a freshman, like like last year, we got used to watching this Ducks team with freshman pitchers overperform what they were supposed to do last year. We had a full freshman pitching class last year, and it was a beautiful sight to see. No one believed in them. And Toby Twist is kind of filling in that role now as the freshman arm that's going to look to get multiple starts this year, and he's going to look to get a lot of appearances. And I would not be surprised if he is an arm out of the bullpen in a really close game. If, like, the Ducks get deep into a big game against a big Pac-12 opponent, and it's within one or two runs at the end of the game, and Toby Twist didn't start that day, he's an arm that Mark Wazikowski is going to look for because he's looked really good to start this year. Yeah, I think Toby Twist has gotten a lot. He's gained a lot of confidence as a freshman, uh, throwing five strikes in his first start. So I feel like he's going to have like more and more confidence as the more games he plays. Yeah, th- this pitching group I think can definitely be an asset for the Ducks the rest of the season. Outside of the pitchers, though, if you had to name like one asset of the, or one facet of their game or one player, what do you think is like the X factor or the greatest asset for the Ducks heading into conference play? Ryan Cooney, that that kid absolutely put on a show this past weekend i mean he 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 finished he finished on sunday he had two home runs on the weekend he had a homer in the first game and he finished sunday with a triple and a home run 
two home runs on the weekend. I I I like I know for a fact he's got a great batting average on the year so far. He's yeah, batting he's, his what's average he batting is this a year? point point three one eight. Point three, yeah. Like the guy, the guy, he's a freshman doing this kind of yeah. stuff. He went to Jesuit High School in Portland, pretty close to where I grew up. So shout out to him. But my my biggest thing for him is the X factor is the middle of the infield because we we talk so much about the Ducks losing their their deep group of position players from last year, and the biggest question mark on defense has to be the infield. Drew Smith and Jacob Walsh, they got those positions positions kind of settled down, kind of hunkered down at first base. Jacob Walsh is going to be the everyday first baseman. Drew Smith is probably going to be the everyday third baseman. And the shortstop and the second base are kind of all up in the air between Carter Garotti, Ryan Cooney, and Jack Brooks. And yeah. Ryan Cooney, at the plate, he was the best out of all three of them, and he looked really good in the outfield. I don't think he made any errors. He might have had one, but for him to be as good at the plate as he was – and step up defensively as a freshman, that's going to be absolutely key for the Ducks moving forward. They have to lock down that middle infield defensively, and they got to get offensive production out of them if they want to turn over and have a season like they did last year. Yeah, the fact that Ryan Cooney was able to to be so successful at the at the plate and in the on defense also was really big for the Ducks in this in that series. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the offense for a second. How about their ability to convert hits into runs? It's very rare that Oregon is going to leave runners out on bases, especially second and third base, where they would have an opportunity to score more than they do. Last weekend, they had four more runs than hits. I mean, yeah, yeah I know I know that walks were a factor there. Lafayette did have a lot of walks, but that's just insane. Four more runs than hits. N- not hits than runs, yeah. but runs than yeah, hits. That's Oregon, insane. like, that's why they're scoring so many points. It's not just that they're they're converting at a really high rate, they're hitting the ball, but they're able to con- they're able to how should I say this? I mean, they're they're not leaving points out on the table. I think is the best way yeah. to frame it. They're capitalizing with guys yeah. in scoring position. Like in in game 1, I don't have the I don't have the deep stats for the rest of the games on this on this right here, but 10 extra base hit, extra base hits in game 1. You said it 17 runs on 14 hits. If you're if you're putting up more runs than hits in any given game, there's a, likely you're getting a lot of help from the other team. But if you're doing it multiple times in a weekend, like the production is there, and it was it was it was on fire all weekend for the Ducks, all the way up and down the lineup. They were able to hit with runners in scoring position. They were able to take advantage of errors and walks from Lafayette, and that's going to be key because the Ducks are going to play good teams this year. And in order for them to have a great record and get back to the postseason, they're going to have to capitalize on yeah. the mistakes that the team that the other teams are going to make because they're going to come in positions where they have games like this, lots of walks, lots of errors, guys in scoring position that shouldn't be there without those walks and errors. And they're going to have to score them. They're going to have to hit them around and make them come in. Yeah, against against better teams like, like like when they played when they played Clemson, they're going to have to score off of these errors and and um all all those errors will get them scores if they you know like you said if if they're playing a better team, they're going to have to score off these errors. Thanks for your input on Oregon baseball. On the other side of this quick break, we are going to discuss Oregon softball and then a little bit of Oregon basketball here on Quacksmack. Excuse me, we have a little bit of a issue in production right now. I'm sorry about this. KWVA. KWVA. Like what you're listening to? Want to be a part of the flagship station of numerous Oregon sports, interview Duck athletes, and have a hand in the media scrum? Then look no further than the very station you're listening to, KWVA 88.1 FM. Email sports at kwvaradio.org, DM our Instagram at kwva sports, or head down to the station itself next to Bartolotti's located on the bottom floor of the EMU to find out more. More American Indians live in poverty than any other racial or ethnic group. Since 1989, the American Indian College Fund has helped thousands of young men and women begin a path out of poverty as students at tribal colleges. As more American Indians see a college education as a way out of poverty, full-time college enrollment continues to rise, along with a continued need for support. Help a student, help a tribe. 
Learn more at tribalcollege.org. A public service message from the American Indian College Fund. Frightened you missed your favorite moments on Quacksmack? Well, worry no longer. Our KWVA website has you covered. All past episodes will be posted to our website along with an outline for what the crew talked about during the show. So head over to kwva.uoregon.edu slash category slash sports slash quack dash smack for more. Hey, this is Joey McMurray, broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network and former KWVA sports director. But he's wearing Adidas pants. You can't do that. And you're listening to Quack Smack. Sorry about that transitional issue, guys. It was partly my fault, but we don't have time to dwell on the past, except when it comes to Oregon softball. We are going to discuss the past. They went 3-2 and two in the Mary Nutter Classic last weekend. I'm going to run off the scores real quick for those of you who weren't watching. On Thursday, February 22nd, they beat UCF 4-3. to three. Later that day, they lost to Baylor 3-2. to two. Then on Friday, an 8-2 to two win against Notre Dame. And then an 11-4 to four win against Long Beach State. And then in the finale on Saturday, they played a very good Nebraska team and lost 6 to nothing. They were swept. Probably their worst performance likely of the season thus far. But do you guys have any takeaways from these games thus far? I mean, I said this, I said this after the opening weekend in the NFCA leadoff classic, and it feels like they've had the same problem both last weekend in the Campbell-Cartier classic and this weekend in the Marinetter. The position, the situational hitting has not been there for the Ducks. In the in the Nebraska game, we're going to talk about the Nebraska game. They stranded the bases loaded in the first inning. They left ten runners on base. They left six runners in scoring position. They lost six to zero to Nebraska. They had all six of those tying runs in scoring position at some point in the game, and it feels like in the Clemson they lost to Clemson at the beginning of the year by one run. Had the tying run on second base in that game. They lost to Indiana by two to start the year. Had the tying runs on base multiple times in that game. So the situational hitting is going to have to step up for the Ducks if they want to make a deep run and get into the postseason and beat really good teams. Because this was a team that's ranked in the top 25 coming into the year. They're going to be expected to beat teams of that caliber. And in order to do that, you got to win by a run or two. got to win a close game. You have to be able to be down by a run or two in the in the fifth, sixth, or seventh inning and come back and win the game. The Ducks have had multiple chance to do, chances to do that throughout this weekend and last weekend, and they just haven't capitalized at any point. Yeah, like you said, Max, against Nebraska, you just you just can't win any games if you if you're not hit scoring any runs. Like you got to you got to capitalize on these uh, on runs and stuff to to be able to win in, at this level. One for six with runners in scoring position, and the only hit in that game was Kylu Shar's single that advanced yeah. KK Humphreys from second to third. So it didn't it if didn't you, even score a run. If, if you hit it six times, you gotta hit, you gotta at least score three out of the six times. Especially if you got runners yeah. on second and third. Uh, yeah, I think definitely. We were talking so much about the baseball team and their ability to convert those runs into hits. Kind of the, the opposite. The opposite with softball. Yes. They're just they're they're not doing as well as they really should be. And I know it's up to the team to capitalize, but I do feel like there is a little bit of like. Not necessarily luck, but it kind of goes back and forth. Some some days you're going to convert those runs. You're going to take advantage of possible points, and some some days you're not. I think that you know we will see a regression to the mean, and Oregon I, Oregon softball will get they they will improve in this. I I know I'm sure like this week it, it was a part of emphasis. You know during practice you got to find a way to get these runners into home plate. I, I'm sure that was definitely discussed at, to some length. I think also against Nebraska, Morgan Scott did not have the best of performances. She only pitched two innings, but she gave up four hits and four runs. Three of mm. those were earned. And then the Huskers also benefited from two home runs and other big plays. Oregon's offense, they really didn't have any big plays. If they would have maybe gotten a couple home runs, then then the issue of those runners out on base not coming home, that, that wouldn't have been an issue, obviously. A home run brings everyone in. I 100% agree with your point of the luck having to switch at some point. Because if you're going to – I feel like leaving 10 runners on base is so unusual for this team. Like this is something that they were not doing last year, and it's something that they're they're not going to do for the rest of the year. I I really do agree that if they keep the same course offensively that they have right now, if the players at the top of the lineup, Ariel Carlson, Alyssa Daniel, 
and Kyle Shar, all these all these big names at the top of the order, if they continue to hit the ball the way they're hitting, the runners in scoring position hits and the home runs, they're going to come. They will. Like 9 and 7 is not where this team wants to be right now, especially being ranked in the top 20 coming into the year. But the luck is going to change. I we really do like like just looking at the just looking at the scorecards, just looking at the box score at a first glance and you see that this team loses 6 to nothing to Nebraska, you say, "Oh, that's not a ranked team. That's not a ranked team." It, in the game, Oregon had chances in every inning to yes. get back in it and to score runs with runners in scoring position and it just didn't happen. And that's that's just the luck of the draw sometimes. That's just part of the game, especially in the diamond sports. Yeah. So, moving forward, I think the Ducks coming into the the Jane Saunders Classic here in Eugene this coming weekend huge 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 opportunity for the Ducks to kind of just switch switch the narrative and say we are a team that is going to score these runs in scoring position and it's not going to be like how it's been at the beginning of the year for the rest of the year yeah so in, in the Jane Saunders Classic and all those games Kyle Lusher can't be the only one with more than one hit like you said Carlson has to give has to give her some help on the offensive side and and Wong too these these uh, girls got to get m- definitely more than one hit to be able to be successful in the Jane Saunders Classic. Another point that I have is the bottom of the order in the Nebraska game. I don't have full statistics for the whole weekend, so this is just in, in this point is just for the Nebraska game. But the bottom of the order really struggled. Yes. They went one for ten against Nebraska, and Kylie Shar, Alyssa Daniel, Arrow Carlson, they can all hit the ball out of the yard at any moment, and they can all have a four hit game. But the bottom of the order, in order for this team to make a deep tournament run, to have a great record, to be the top of the Pac-12 like they have aspirations to be, the bottom of the order has to show, has to show some production, and it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have yeah. to. It doesn't have to be 300 batting average. It can be under 300, above around 250, even like that's that's asking for a lot, but that's that's doable. That's really doable. And the bottom of the order for the rest yeah, of the year really has to show up, and I think that's going to be a really key asset moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I would say. I would say that, like you said, the bottom of the, the bottom of the order has to be um, more consistent because you know, like in a close game. Oh yeah. If yeah, in, a, oh, yeah. in a close game, if if they're down, have they're down one. You can't have you can't have three batter three batters at the bottom oh, of the yeah. order with zero hits. You can't. Six have through that. nine cannot be batting yeah. one for ten against a team like Nebraska. Like yeah, that's got that 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 that's got to change. And part of that, honestly, is probably a little bit of the luck. What we said, like Diamond Sports, hot streak, cold streak happens all the time. There are so many games. A lot of time for them to switch it around. Jane Saunders Classic this weekend in Eugene, perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah this is a great opportunity for Oregon to really show off, you know, at their home stadium. And re- really, I mean, they're not playing any elite opponents outside of possibly Washington if they're able to. Losing Florida State in that in that series is pretty big. Mm-hmm. Florida yeah. State was going to be a really big opportunity for the Ducks. By the way, how do you guys feel about that little interlude here? How do you feel about Florida State? I mean, they they caught some attention in there, de- in December as a institution for all the college ball playoff backlash, and now they're backing out of a softball tournament. There was discussion that they would opt out of the Orange Bowl. They didn't. They played that game, lost to Georgia by sixty, and then over here oh, wow. in Poor Florida State, man. <laughs> Poor Florida State. How do you guys feel about this? Like, is there a culture problem in Tallahassee right now? Oh, that's that's a pretty heavy question. Yeah, that's that, a that, my, good that, question. Good question. I feel like it needs to be talked about. No, like, it does. Yeah. Do we know the reasoning for them backing out of this tournament? Is it no. just the travel? Did they, did they? Is there a reason on the internet somewhere as to why Florida State isn't traveling no, to Eugene? See, I didn't see anything. Teams why. fly across the country all the time. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. This a is main Florida why. State. This is a premier institution in America. Like, what exactly is the issue? <laughs> yeah, I, it's got to be. You think it's got to be something with that directory staff or something? Like, this is a pretty, pretty loaded thing to dive yeah. into. But Florida State, like, not like if you're gonna have a softball team, like where does where does Florida State rank? In the softball rankings right now, they're number twelve. Florida State is eleven and three on the year. They're number twelve in the country, and they're opting out of a big time tournament where they were gonna they were gonna play Washington. They had a they had a game set up on sun, on Saturday morning yeah. to play number number four ranked Washington. And I mean, there really out is of that, there, there really is no excuse to not come because they're definitely only like a three three and a half plane ride to here. Yeah, so like there's no there's no excuse for them. Not there's got to be some sort of fallout in that directory staff or something along those yeah. lines. Because Florida State, like if they opted out of the Orange Bowl, I totally agree that there has to be some crazy problem with this staff. Like, why would you not? Like, no matter how the team does, no matter what the story is of the team, you got to play the game. That's why you do this. Like, yeah. so I think for football, they got screwed over pretty hard, and it was a pretty sad thing to see. But for them to kind of continue this downfall. And the big moment being opting out of the Jane Saunders Classic, I do agree that there's got to be some sort of problem going on 
inside the directory staff at Florida State. The thing about softball particularly, and sports like basketball and then the diamond sports, these non-conference games, it's not that they don't matter, but like you can lose a ton of these and still like everything is still in front of you. It's really yeah. the conference oh, yeah. slate that matters. Oregon has lost so many games, and they're still ranked. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's I a 50-60 like game season. Florida yeah. State, like the, the upside here, you can get a marquee win over a great Washington oh, yeah. team. And if you lose, well, you lose. It's okay. It's softball. You lose yeah. in the non-conference, well, just dominate the ACC. I mean, I, I don't really know. And to, to see this happen, to see this happen with a team that spent all of December just complaining and complaining and complaining, like, it, it's, not, it's not just one sport. I feel like there's an issue with the institution. Not everyone involved in it, but I feel like there is some sort of, like, cultural problem yeah. there with Florida State. But now, after that that brief segment. Let's get back to Oregon softball and let's discuss the pitching real quickly. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Elise Soloski. She has not played too much, only 10.1 innings pitched, but a .68 ERA, very, very low ERA there in the time that she has pitched and a .231 batting average against. How do you guys feel about her viability going forward and does she need to get more playing time? I I think she could use some more innings. I mean, this is a really deep pitching staff. I mean, Morgan Scott, Taylor Spencer, and Stevie Hansen have proven to be the top three so far at this point in the year. And Alyssa Sokolsky is right there at number four. And I think if she – I'm, I'm going to pull the stats up right now. I don't know how many innings she's pitched this year. I don't know what her ERA is looking like. We're about to pull it up. But she's a big-time arm, and if she can get a couple starts this year and switch around this whole – and switch around the bullpen yeah. starting rotation like Melissa Lombardi has done – She's just dangerous. Like this whole lineup, this whole pitching staff is dangerous, and she is just she's one right there. Point six eight ERA. She's only pitched ten innings, so not a ton of sample size there. But she started three of the, the three games that she's appeared in. She started in, and if you can have a starting arm get you three or four innings when you have Taylor Spencer, Morgan Scott, and Stevie Hansen behind her, yeah. that's so dangerous. And like everything we've talked about about the Oregon bats, they're gonna come around. That's gonna fix itself. The Oregon pitching staff for softball right now yeah. is so solid and it's so locked down. And Elisa Sokolsky is just another huge part to that. And I think she's kind of she's kind of the spark plug moving forward, I think. I think she has a potential to be the spark plug moving forward as that starter that's going to get you deep in the game and then just have absolute a th- an absolute three-headed monster behind her closing out. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say that Alyssa should she, – she definitely eventually should get a starting position because – Girls like, you know, Morgan Scott and Taylor Spencer, um, they get tired very easily, which is why they give up so many hits. Um, they when they when they pitch more than four or five innings, they get really tired. So I feel like if Alyssa comes in and starts, yes. then either Morgan also Scott her or name her name is Elise, not Alyssa. Elise. I totally just messed that up, so I apologize to Elise Sikolsky. <laughs> Elise Sikolsky. But yeah, if if Elise if Elise starts then either Morgan or Taylor can finish off the game. Yeah. And then, and then vice versa, too. Like, her out of the or bullpen. Either, either way, yeah. Her out of the bullpen. Melissa Lombardi is yeah. completely up in the air right now with a lockdown starting pitcher and who's going to follow behind them in the bullpen. It kind of just go, all depends. It can go on, either way. It all yeah. depends on the lineups they're facing, how many lefties, how many righties they got. And this is a really, really, really deep pitching staff. And I think Elisa Kolsky feels like the spark plug to me right now. It just feels like .68 ERA. Like, you just can't ignore that. I know the sample size is not as oh, big yeah. as others, but... 10.1 innings pitched is not a super small number. I feel like, I, I you know, I'm not in the organization. I, I'm not I'm not one of the coaches, but I feel like the, she de- she definitely needs to see some more playing time going oh, yeah. forward. Oh, if, yeah, for sure. Nine if, strikeouts and in 10 innings is really good. Like, that's locked like, down. Like, honestly, Stevie Hansen, her ERA is 3.39 thus far. I, I know she has sort of the legacy. She's a bit of a campus celebrity. She, she's been here forever. But I feel like, it you know, not necessarily rotating her her minutes out, you know, giving her less innings. But I just feel like we got to see we got to see these better players or at least these hotter yeah. players, you know, on a bit of a streak, and getting also, some more playing time. I just feel like that that's going to give Oregon a better chance to win moving forward. Also, the more innings that Stevie Henson pitches, the more runs she gives up. So I feel like Elise can can come in. She could come in there and be a huge spark for the Ducks. Like you said, Max, nine nine strikeouts in ten innings. That's amazing. Yeah, and I do. I I like I like what you just said about Stevie Henson. It feels like she kind of. She kind of starts off her games a little shaky, maybe lets yeah. up a run or two. If it's a bad day, she'll let maybe four or five in the yeah. first two or three innings. But then if she gets if she gets settled in and pitches five pitches four or five innings, the last 
inning number four, inning number four, inning number five, number six, however deep she gets, she gets better and better. Mm-hmm. So for Stevie Hansen, it's going to be avoiding those big innings at the beginning of the game. And that's why it's so important for this Ducks team to have a deep pitching staff like they do. Morgan Scott, Steve, I mean, Morgan Scott and Elise Sokolsky are right there behind her. And Stevie Hansen can have a day where she comes in and it's just her day. And she pitches five innings, looks great maybe gives up a run, and then you're set for the rest of the game because you know you have a lockdown bullpen behind that. The vice versa, if Stevie Hansen has a bad game to start off her to start off yeah, her day and you got to pull her early, you know that you have a safety blanket behind you with three great softball pitchers. I have a lot of hope for Oregon baseball and Oregon softball heading forward. I feel like both these teams are going to be very good in spring term, but we've got another break coming up. And then on the other side, it is just basketball. We're going to talk Oregon basketball a little bit and then a little bit of March Madness bracketology and maybe even some NBA. I know Jason definitely wants to Ooh, touch up on those Lakers. <laughs> Talk about those Lakers here on KWVA 88.1. KWVA. KWVA. For over 50 years, Help Peel Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to healvets.org. That's HealVets.org, sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. The Skate Park Project, formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation, is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute, because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. Let's get back to the best show in Eugene, Quacksmack. Welcome back here to Quacksmack on KWVA 88.1. We just discussed some Oregon baseball and Oregon softball, both going to definitely keep us entertained in spring term. Now a little bit of Oregon basketball. We're going to discuss the men's team quickly. Both teams, both men's and women's, have been a little disappointing this season. Men's team, probably not as much, but they did lose to Cal 69-64 to the other day. What, what, do you, what do you guys think went wrong in this game, and what really needs to change going forward if Oregon's going to have a shot? Because they are a bubble team in this tournament. For, for the Cal game, I think that there are two, two big factors that led to them losing this game. Number one is a problem that they have game in and in ga- game in and game out, and it was a problem that they had a lot last year, and it's been super consistent this year. Is the three point shooting? The Ducks cannot figure out the three point shooting woes consistently, and when it's off, it is off. This team, this team took three. This team was leading. The Ducks were leading by what was it four going into the break against Cal? They took two. They went one for two from three from the three point line from deep in the first half. And in the second half, they take 16 threes, go three for 16, shoot 18%, and they lose by five. Like, I don't, I don't know what the, the offensive output is looking like between the halves, but, like, I don't understand why the Ducks are taking three, 16 threes when it looked like the offensive production was working in the first half. And number two, Dante took nine shots. And I don't know, I don't know why Dante isn't getting upwards of 20 shots a game but he's the most consistent player on this team offensively. Like the shooting is just not there. The 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 pick and roll movement at the top of the key is really inconsistent and Dante taking nine shots isn't going to win you a game. Yeah, and there's 
like like you said, Max, the, all season, not just this season, last season too, their three point shooting has been awful. Oh my gosh, man! But, like they're they're shooting less than fifteen percent from three as a team. Like that's just and they, not going to win the your ducks. Games. The ducks will shoot like fifteen percent from three and lose a game by four points. And I don't understand like like. Dana Altman should be telling them, like, just stop shooting threes at some point. I know. You're shooting 18 threes and only making four Altman, of them. Every, You're not going to win. Every time he brings it up in the postgame, it's just he's so hesitant about the guys that he wants shooting the ball. He says yeah. it every year. Like, some guys are going to need to spend more time in the gym if they want to really change their, really change their work production like, on the court. Keep, like, just keep giving the ball to Dante in the paint if you, if you can't shoot threes. He should be taking at least 12 shots a game, not nine. 12 to 15, actually. Because if he takes 12 to 15 shots, he'll score at he least 20. He should take 20, 20 to, shots a yeah, game. Yeah, he'll, he'll score. If he takes 20 shots, he'll get 30 points easily. Because I don't think there's that, that many uh, players in, in the NCAA that could even guard him. I think something to point out is that Cal had only two bench points in this entire game. So Oregon's Oregon was rotating guys in and out, maybe not as frequently as they would have liked to, but they had a deeper rotation than Cal. And for Oregon, a much more talented team than Cal, to lose to a Cal team that – Really, fatigue wasn't as big of an issue as you you would have thought. I mean, it, it just feels like coach, Cal out coached Oregon. That's that's sort of the the big takeaway that I have. Cal out coached Oregon. Oregon twenty two percent from the three point line, just terrible. Cal was not great either. I think they were somewhere around thirty percent, but good enough to win the game, and that's what matters. But now looking forward, Oregon is right now projected by multiple sources. They are a bubble team. I think they. I don't think there's any sources that have Oregon in the in the bubble right now, but I do think there are some that have them as one of the last four teams. Or, or that next four me, in. The next four in. Not next four in. First four out. Oh, oh first, I see. first oh, four I see, out. I see. They're not projected in, but they're right on the outside. Right. They yeah. do have a big chance against Arizona this weekend. They definitely have to win that oh game. Oh my gosh, man. Do they? Ha- do the question is? Yes. We're, we're gonna we're gonna discuss this a little bit. Do they have to win the game t- to get in? get an at large because I feel like I feel like they do have to win the game because uh, Arizona is the number one seed in the Pac-12 and if they beat the number one seed in the Pac-12 they actually correction Washington State is the number one seed in the Pac-12 right now oh really a- Arizona at least from what I heard I could be incorrect on that Washington State has a tiebreaker against Arizona they're probably going to get the number one seed in the tournament because right here I see okay. Arizona's 12 and 4 and Washington State is 12 and 5 well I am sorry about that that's my <laughs> mistake I did hear somewhere that Washington State, uh, Washington State has some sort of advantage. I guess that that was wrong. So Arizona, number one team in the Pac-12, projected number one seed by Andy Katz as the the number oh, yeah. four, yeah. the fourth one seed. I know there's a big gap between the top three and everyone else, but Arizona, one of the elite teams in college basketball. What what does Oregon now need to do to get this win? I think, I think Oregon is really just fighting for a top four seed in the Pac-12 tournament to try to give themselves a better shot at winning that tournament and then giving themselves that automatic big to the NCAA tournament because I don't think they're going to get that at-large bid. They've lost too many games to too many teams that they should have beat. The Arizona game here really hurt. The Washington Washington State one. The Washington State game really hurt. The the Utah game on the road, really tough. Colorado handled them really easily on the road. Like Oregon has kind of put themselves out of contention for that at-large bid, I think. So right now... Beating Arizona, potentially winning out for the rest of the year. They get Oregon State at Matthew Knight Arena in an hour and 17 minutes. Like, Oregon, I think, is now just fighting for a top four seed in the Pac 12 to get a bye in the first round of that Pac 12 tournament. Yeah, I feel like they would have to win from here on out. They would have to win every single game because, like, that, that Cal game really hurt them. When they they when gotta they win every game Cal, just to, to maybe give themselves just a to chance. Maybe give them a chance to make to make the tournament, like the actual NCAA. Yeah, at large bid. Yeah, at large bid. Yeah, but in order, like Griffin, you asked, like. How do you, how do I think they'll do against Arizona? I think I, I don't know, man. Like Caleb Love is he's a great player. Last time I, he killed us, he scored over thirty points in the at, when just, he came here into Eugene. So from I'm not what sure. We've I don't seen, know. From what we've seen, like pace wise by the Ducks all year, I think Arizona is just too. I fast. think yeah, I think Arizona is just they're just Oregon, too fast of a team. Oregon does not run up and down the floor like Arizona does. Arizona is so quick. Their bigs are quick, and Oregon just likes to play a slower style of and, offense. And Dana Altman doesn't know. He's not a he's not an in-game adjustment type of coach. Like he doesn't oh, know when if, if, if Caleb Love starts scoring like if he who's going to guard Caleb Yeah, Love? I don't know who's even going to guard Caleb Love. Last time when when Arizona was here it was Brennan Rigsby and he, he got, got absolutely killed. cooked. He got absolutely barbecue chicken. Cooked. So I'm not sure who's going to guard him. I, I do not have Arizona currently as as a one seed. We'll get we'll get into more of that later. I don't think they're going to end up as a one seed at least, but they are a very good team and Oregon right now, Oregon's they've got coaching issues. They've got in a way, roster issues. They got production issues. 
I don't think this is going to be a very good game for the Ducks. But I, w- I would like to say real quick, Oregon is very good at not turning the ball over. They've only committed 10.5 turnovers per game. Arizona can get a little careless with the ball. They've committed 11.8 turnovers per game. So if Oregon could they have f- find to a way that hard, they got to have to play some defense like in that game. They got to play some defense and force turnovers if they want to beat Arizona. And it is it is entirely possible. I know it's going to be on the road, crazy environment. It is on the road in Arizona. It, 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 did did Wisconsin go into Arizona back in December and and pull off an upset? Is that is that what happened? Is that or how what, many what, games has Arizona lost at home? Uh, I I don't know. Maybe, oh, maybe Wisconsin did not did not win that game. I don't think Arizona's lost a game at home. That game was very close early on, and then I think Arizona pulled away there. Bit bit of a bit of a brain fart. But no. now now moving on to the women's side. They missed out on two opportunities to really break this long losing streak that they've been on. They played both UW and Washington State. It was really not pretty for them. They committed 18 turnovers against UW. Oh, I was just, that's tough. Yeah, just saying the men's team, very good at not committing turnovers. The women's team played just terrible against Washington. And then against Washington State, they didn't really play much better. Their three-point shooting, they, they only took eight shots, but they only made one. I oh, mean, man. It, mm. it, 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 that's just... I don't know, man. For the record, Arizona's only home loss this year was last Thursday to Washington State by three. That's their only home that's loss. That's their wow. only home loss. It, it, that's probably why they're right now projected though is a one seed. But anyway, onto the onto the women. Like, oh my gosh! Uh, uh, oh, don't what, even get what, me started with the women. Come on, the Griffin. Oregon Oregon women's like what needs they to happen? Just terrible this season. They. The same, the same <laughs> issue. It's, it's the same issue as the men's team. Oh they can't. Gosh. They just cannot shoot. It's the offense. It's and the, the thing, offense. They just the can't shoot. Oregon. The women's team is currently on an, ele- an eleven-game losing streak, and the whole story for the beginning, for the first half of this year with Oregon's women's team was that they can't score over fifty points score. a game. They cannot score, but the defense was there. Oregon would consistently lose games, like fifty to forty or sixty to fifty, and they would hold teams that they're playing to like some crazy like 15 or 16 points under their usual average. Like the point differential on how many, like what the average of the teams they're playing is and what they, how many points they score against Oregon is, was crazy. It was a crazy differential. The defense was there over the past 11 games. That's gone completely out of the window. Oregon has faced an absolute gauntlet of a, of a schedule. Like the PAC 12 is easily the best conference in women's basketball. And they've, they've their defense has fallen off pretty hard. The offense has stayed its course. Obviously, Sophia Bell getting hurt was a huge blow to the perimeter defense of this team, but they're kind of starting to add. They're kind like the teams they're playing are starting to average 70, 80. Colorado put up ninety points on them. Like it's the the games are starting to get a little bit more and more blowout as the as the season goes on. And I believe they're like two and fourteen in conference play. Yeah, it's. I mean, the, like you said, the Pac-12 is a tough conference. Oh, it's a gauntlet. It's a, very tough conference. They had so like they had like five or six teams in the top ten at one U- point. USC, UCLA, they had to play already. They got killed by both the mountain schools. Absolutely killed by both of those teams. So USC's Juju Watkins just absolutely torched. I think the Ducks. I think if you put Oregon in a in a conference that isn't the Pac-12, they have a better season. Not a great oh, yes. season. A lot better of a like season. If you put them in like I don't know like the ACC, SEC, they would be definitely definitely be doing better than they are oh, right yeah. now. You know, you don't know how good they'd be doing, but man, not definitely bottom, not two and not bottom of the conference. I think the issue is though, like Oregon, like th- there was a point in 2020 when they had beat the U.S. national team. They oh my god, they could have been the number one team in the country. They and were, na- and uh, and now like na- now they've they've fallen off so far. They've fallen off to the point where we where we're using the Pac-12 schedule yeah. as an excuse. Like, oh yeah, if Oregon is going to oh, make yeah. the NCAA tournament, schedule cannot be an excuse. Teams get into the NCAA tournament with 10, 11, 12 losses every year. They play in really tough conferences and just take on losses. But the difference is they have ranked wins. Oregon is not able to beat any of these teams. Yeah, not even one. It's not like, even close. It, 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 these games aren't even close to like Oregon like twenty point wins. Like, uh, uh, the, was the Oregon State game close? I think the Oregon State game was slightly. Slightly closer. Uh, Colorado game, they lost by 33. Uh, oh, my gosh. Utah, oh, they lost by 22. Uh, USC, they got USC killed. at home. Yeah, USC they got absolutely killed. at home. They lost by, uh, what is this, 37, 37 points? 37 points, yep. Am I, am I doing mm-hmm. the math correctly? Yeah, they oh lost my. by 37. Is that Juju Watkins, like, 33-point game or something yeah, like that? Like but even if you take her away, yeah. they still lose. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you take oh her away, gosh. they still lose by four. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> like, 
it, oh my gosh, man. That, if you where's ta- if where's you take Sabrina? Where's Sabrina in the when you need her? <laughs> uh, they really need Sabrina. <laughs> what she's doing Max, is beating like, all the men in they the, definitely the need three She's taking contest. on Steph Curry in a three-point <laughs> contest instead yeah. of wearing a duck uniform. <laughs> that would have oh been funny gosh. if she wore a duck uniform, though. That would have been it? really cool. <laughs> yeah, if Curry wore a Davidson uniform, that would have been sick. They definitely need, right now, this team definitely needs the shooting of Sabrina. Oh my 100%. gosh! And it, one of eight from three <laughs> in yeah, Washington State, <laughs> and it's been so painful to watch, like at least for the first half of the season, because the defense has been so good. Like there was a game, Oregon lost to Utah here earlier this year, and I covered the game, and I remember doing research on where both teams at were coming into the game. Utah was averaging a nation best ninety points a game going into it. It was like eight or nine games into the season, so it wasn't anything like it wasn't a crazy big sample size. It might have been 10 or 11 games going into the year. I don't know. But Utah was averaging 90 points a game. The Ducks held them to 60. The Ducks held them to 30 points under their usual point total and lost by, I think, 10 or 12. Like, the offensive production is just non-existent for the Ducks. I'm I'm looking at the stats right here against Washington State. Chance Gray was 2 for 17 from the field. Like, how are you going to win if you have one of your best players shooting 2 for 17? Chance Gray has to shoot that many shots because no one else shoots on that team. No one else else shoots to score. Chance Gray is really the the only – Real offensive productive, offensive productive, offensively yep. productive guard. Like Grace Van Sluten can can put up twenty points in a game, but they're still not going to win because yeah. they, they like they definitely need. I don't know what how chance. many points the Ducks are averaging off the bench, but I feel like it's got to be under like seven oh, points. Like he, Kelly Graves definitely does not use his bench that much. Yeah, Kelly Graves is starting <laughs> to get sick and tired of this year. You can tell press conference by press conference his mood he's is just so upset. He's such a conference. charismatic. He's such a charismatic guy in the post game, but this year you can tell that he's at the end of his wits a little bit. Uh, now we're gonna get into predicting the games for both the men's and women's team. Starting with the men's team, two games this week. Uh, w- w- what are your guys' record, and how do you think they'll perform in each game? I would, I would say, they they'll beat Oregon State tonight easier easy, easier than they did the first time. Because the first time they only won by what? What was it, sixty to fifty-eight in that first game in Corvallis? I yeah, the like Dante game-winning dunk. Yeah, I feel like tonight would be tonight's on our home floor. We play better at home, so I feel like it's going to be at least a ten to twelve-point win. And you then think on, double digits? Yeah, I think double digits. And then Arizona, I'm not sure about that one. I think we'll we'll lose that one, but definitely by less than ten points. I think the less Ducks, than ten points. Yeah, I'd say last time oh. we only lost by nine points. Arizona, at home. we lost by nine points. The Ducks at home are going to lose to Arizona by less than ten points. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to get to the next segment and see what you think about Arizona because, like, that was ten, less lost, than ten points. We, we lost Arizona by nine points last time we played them. Oh man, I don't Here? know. I feel like the team is worse now than they were in the middle of the season. No, it was the same team that we had last time. It's the same ten players that played. Same players. I feel like they're Arizona, playing worse. Arizona's got a ruckus home court crowd too. Like their 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 home stadium. I mean, it is it is at home. Okay, I'll give them ten points. I think I think Arizona might beat the Ducks by like twenty plus points. Oh, but, no, not that much. But oh no, I, th- I think they really I think they really <laughs> could win by that much. I, I I like how you're being optimistic, uh, Jason. But like, I I just don't. I also I'm gonna say I think I think Arizona's gonna have like. 15 plus points in transition. Like I think I think Arizona is going to be too fast. I will give you that. Our, de- I think, our transition I think, defense is just not good. I think the Wildcats are just going to be too quick and I don't think there's going to be a duck lead for much in the first half, but what uh, do you think Griffin? Uh, checking the score right now, uh checking the the past scores for Arizona. They beat Wisconsin by 25. I I think I confused them with Purdue who actually beat them the the game after that. They beat them by 8 in Indy. So n- possible brain fart on on my part. Arizona <laughs> just they, they have just Dog walked almost everyone in their schedule. Not a super strong Pac-12, but it, yeah, it. Unlike the women's side, the Pac-12 is just not not that great this year. But Arizona has done basically what you would expect them to do in a conference. Tommy like this. Tommy Lloyd's a great regular season head coach too. Like I obviously, the, the guy has his problems in the tournament. Yeah, the guy has his problems in the tournament. But through conference conference play, Tommy Lloyd is locked down. That will, guy is I, a coach that will take a team that will turn a program around and keep him there. I will give you that. Tommy Lloyd will definitely, ninety nine point nine percent chance, outcoach Dana Altman in that game. Oh yeah. So it definitely would be. Tommy Lloyd will get your team to the yeah. tournament. What he does in the tournament is a different story. But regular season is what we're talking about right now, and they got to play the Ducks at home. What do you guys? And what, the Ducks are gonna also, in order for the Ducks to hang around in that Arizona game, they're gonna have to do something that they really never do: shoot the three pointer. Well, they gotta. They gotta hit. They gotta. Shoot over thirty-five percent from three. I bet to win that game because I, Oregon takes it, too many. They take I they take it. so many threes a game, and they make like three or four of them. They and take, Arizona they, is just so productive all around. Arizona is just all over the place. Okay, now let's get into the women's picks. Do you think you think women's basketball has a chance to turn things around this weekend, or you think it's going to be another zero and two? Ah oh, man, 
What's the matchup? Who are they playing? Oh, they're playing Cal. They got Cal. And then they got they're gonna win. They're going to beat Cal at home. They're going to beat Cal at home by six points. Yeah, I agree. Very, very specific prediction. They're going to beat Cal I'll, at home. I'll hold you say, to it. Yeah, I'll hold you to, to that. it. They're gonna I say four. Cal. They're going to beat them by four. I say four. I think they're going to beat them by six points. Okay, and you guys need to have some sort of like bet on that, like honestly. Okay. Uh, after the show ends, you guys need to after the work show, something we'll, out. We'll get something to work out. Okay, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Stanford, oh gosh. Another probably a double digit point loss. I mean, I remember when Oregon used Stanford to beat Stanford is, by double digits. Yeah. Stanford's <laughs> twice, three times in the same year. Stanford is a pretty good team. That. Stanford is a pretty good team this Stanford's year. Stanford's great every year in women's number basketball. Number four in the country right now. Yeah. yeah. Def- okay, so you said 20? I'd say definitely. Uh, they're not going to. I say. Oregon's, Oregon's not going to lose by 20, but they're no. going to lose by. They are going to lose. They are going to lose by twenty. Lose by 20? Twenty-five, probably. Oh, Yo, forget the twenties. Oh. They may lose by thirty. Thirty. Yeah. <sighs> They're uh, going to lose by seventeen points. No, I'd say twenty-five. What do you, th- what do you oh, think, Griffin? Man. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go <laughs> somewhere in the middle there. I'll like twenty-one points. Twenty-one points. That, that, They're going to lose that, by twenty-one points. It's definitely going to be more than twenty. I'll are the Ducks going to score over forty-five points in the oh, game? Oh yes, yes, yes. They're going to score over forty-five. The problem is, you know, <laughs> they're going to give up seventy though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Jeez. Okay, now real quick because we have a little bit of extra time here at the end of Quack Smack. All of you, let's let's go through and list all of our NCAA men's one seeds and how we how far we think each of them will go in the tournament. So for oh, me man. for me, I got I think Purdue is gonna finish as the number one seed. I think Houston is gonna finish as number two. I do think if they lose a couple games here on out, I know the Big Twelve is very tough. If they maybe lose to Kansas again at the end of the year, then UConn could be the number two overall, but I think it will be it will be Purdue, and then it'll be Houston, and it'll be UConn. And then I think the SEC champion will be the, the number four overall seed. I actually I don't think okay. it'll be Arizona. The schedule's not good enough. Alabama just lost to Ole Miss, so now they have they have nine losses now. So if they were to win it all, I I don't think they would get that final one seed. But I don't think they're going to win the SEC. I know ESPN's bracketologist has Alabama getting the automatic qualifier, and beating Tennessee, I'm assuming in the SEC championship, I don't see that. I think Tennessee's going to win the SEC. They just beat Auburn, mm-hmm. another team in contention there. Not really for a one seed, but Auburn, another good team. I was about to ask if you got Tennessee winning the SEC. I, I do have Tennessee winning the SEC and getting that that final spot. But where Auburn is right now, Auburn has what six losses. They, they'll be the, they'll be a one seed if they keep winning out. Like if if they win the SEC tournament, beat Alabama, beat Tennessee, and w- win their regular season games, six losses. I I don't it, it, I I'm not too I'm not really too high on North Carolina or Duke. I know both of them have around six or seven losses. It, I so I I've heard some places saying Carolina's the final one seed. I just I don't see that at all. They're number nine in the AP ranking, and the schedule is just not really there. Maybe if they win the rest of their games and the SEC champion kind of chokes, maybe. But the schedule is just not really there in the ACC. What about you guys? Who's who are your four your four one seeds? Ah oh, man, I mean I'm not I'm not the most knowledgeable guy on this, but I know I know Purdue's probably just going to finish out and get that. That's probably a no-brainer. Yep. I think UConn's going to get it just cuz UConn's so dominant. I have really no reason to vote against them. I think Arizona's going to do it. I think Arizona's going to win the Pac-12 tournament. And I agree with you as the SEC champion winning I, I agree with you with the SEC champion being the top, being the last top four seed. So no Houston. You think they're going to lose some games in the Big Twelve? Houston. I don't think Houston wins yeah, the Big Twelve title. It, and I don't know if four losses would be enough to keep them out of the one seed. Maybe it may. Even if they just, even if they don't. Yeah, you're right. It, I know Tennessee has six losses. What's Houston's? How many games Houston has left? Houston plays Oklahoma, UCF, and they got Kansas to end the year. They got to win the Kansas game. Otherwise, Kansas. I mean, yeah, I Kansas put, could jump them. I would put like Kansas oh, yeah. as a number one seed. Kansas, Kansas is about to get some big teams. Like, They're about so, to play Baylor this weekend. Exactly. K- Kansas yeah. has a chance to boost their resume. They already really beat Houston the right first now. time. Well, I got. I, I would say I got. I got Purdue. I got UConn, Tennessee, Arizona winning the Pac-12, and then I actually have. I actually have Kansas winning the Big Twelve. So if, I feel like if Kansas beats Baylor, this this next game that they have, they could. Be oh, that yeah. they could clinch that number one seed in the Big Twelve. And Kansas has Kansas State at home. Obviously, Kansas State isn't anything crazy, but in-state rivalries are always a big game. No matter who the, yeah. no matter where the teams are that at, no matter who they're them. playing, it's going to be. Kansas hasn't beaten Kansas State in a while. I know, too. and it's at it's at Allen Fieldhouse, so it's going to be ruckus. Like they lost, they lost to Kansas State at in Kansas at, at Kansas State the last time they played them. If Kansas if Kansas wins out and wins the Big Twelve tournament, you think they get that one seed? Yes, yes. I, I definitely, I definitely, definitely I think they, they pass the Houston. Seed. I okay. think they yes. pass Houston. Okay. I don't think they knock Houston out. I just I think that makes things a little more complicated for Tennessee. Now, oh, real, real, real quick, 
because we're kind of running out of time. Who's your national champion? Who's your runner-up? I got oh per- I got gosh. Purdue over Houston. I got I got mm, I got Purdue Purdue over Kansas because you know I, I think Purdue's gonna win because you know nobody can stop Zach Eady. That dude's just too good. I'm taking the Oregon Ducks over Purdue. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no. amazing take. Amazing take. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I I'm gonna. I, lo- I love Armando Baycott. I'm going to rock with UNC. I have no I have no crazy, crazy... You like the Tar Heels. Deep, deep knowledge, deep <laughs> knowledge Heels. and all the T's. I'm taking the Tar Heels to Tar win Heels. it all. Last time I took the Tar Heels to win it all, they did it. So I'm taking the Tar Heels. They're going to beat Purdue in the final. Thanks for listening here on Quacksmack. This was an amazing show. If you want to catch more of us, you can either tune into 88.1 uh, or head to the KWA website or SoundCloud if you want to hear this recording again. So long from Eugene on KWVA 88.1 FM. You've been listening to Quack Smack on KWVA. If you missed any portion of the show or just want to listen again, you can find the full show recordings online at kwvaradio.org. Plus, we're on Twitter at KWVA Sports. Join us again for our next episode tomorrow at 6 p.m. right here on KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM.